All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the revelation of your word. We ask that you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the wisdom to apply your word to our life. We ask that uh, you would tear down strongholds this morning, ways of thinking, philosophies of life that have hindered our relationship with you, that have hindered the way we live out our life, that has hindered joy, that has hindered the move of your spirit in our life. Transform us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're start, we are on a new journey on a series about being transformed, be transformed. And how do we do that? Through the renewing, the renewing of our minds. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's amazing right there. God wants you to renew your mind so that you can prove, you can, you can prove what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. God's got a plan for each one of us, and it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. That's awesome. That should make you happy right now that God has thoughts towards you this morning, and they're good, they're acceptable, and they're perfect. Last week, we, we hit you with a stinger, we don't need more of God. And I could tell by a lot of your faces that you were a little taken back on that, that that how, I thought that's why we come to church, to get more of God. We need to get more of God. See, that's the thing about religion, is even, even full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic, everything is out there. We got to fast more. We got to pray more. We got to do more. We got to get God to move. No, God, we don't need more of God. God needs more of us. We don't need God to move. He needs us to move. You know, they talk about this little lady that's prayed for 20 years for revival in, in their town. And one day, some fiery preacher shows up in town, and they have revival. And they say, see, that prayer brought revival. Or did the fiery preacher bring revival? See, we're praying for things that God's already told us to do. God bring revival, and he says, Go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I'll go with you, he says. See, we're, we're waiting for a move of God, and God's waiting for us to move. We need to acknowledge what has already been given to us. In Christ Jesus, everything, you have been perfected in Christ Jesus. You had the very Spirit of God living within you. Talking about not living up to your full potential. I don't think any of us are living up to our full potential of what God has placed inside each one of us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How do we receive Jesus? By faith. How do we walk in Jesus? By faith. Faith in what? Faith in everything that he has done, what he has accomplished. Hmm. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. This is the area of renewing our minds, to understanding, sowing the word of God, having understanding of what Christ accomplished. 
Christ did so much more than just got, got you fire assurance, got you get out of hell free card. He's put the very kingdom of God within you. And we're rooted and grounded in him. We are supposed to be established in your faith. We're rooted and grounded and built up in him. We're rooted and grounded. When, we, when we're receiving the word of God, it should always be pointing to his finished work, what he has done, what you are in him. You're rooted and grounded in him. You're not building your own castle of sand, but you're on the rock of Jesus Christ. And overflowing with gratitude. And, you know, it's pretty simple to overflow with gratitude when you start hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you not be grateful? How can you not be thankful when you hear how good God is? The reason why we're not exuberant and excited and happy is because we haven't appropriated it by faith. If we believed it, you couldn't contain yourself. That as you sit right here, you are perfect and blameless and righteous and holy, filled with the spirit of the living God. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. It's amazing. All right, I guess I'm more excited than you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it. And we talked about this last week. See to it. The King Jimmy Version says, uh, beware. So we have to see to it. We have to beware that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. See, the world, Satan, the world systems, the Babylonian system is trying to put you into their mold. They're trying to conform you into their mold to get you to act, get you to go into basically slavery, that you're depending on the world systems rather than the system of the kingdom of God. They're trying to cap, take you captive. And how do they take you captive? through a belief system, through philosophies, empty deception, according to what? The tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, in who? In Christ, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So what is that saying? That in Christ... All of God, the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost dwells within Jesus. Right? Right? And you guys can agree to that. Right? And he is the head over all rule and authority. And we can agree to that. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And we can, we can agree to that. In him... You have been made complete. So we have Christ, for in Christ dwells the fullness of deity. Right? The whole Godhead dwells within Christ. And in him, you have been made complete. If you've been made complete, what does that mean? What's complete? If you, if you did your homework and you completed the assignment, what's left to do? Nothing. Do you know you sit here this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and Christ dwells within you, you are complete. That's why we labor to enter into that rest. 
We rest in Christ. You have been made complete. So we can, we can agree that in Christ, the fullness of deity, deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, what's in Christ? The fullness of deity, right? And you're in him. And you're complete in him. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So if you're in Christ, you're complete in Christ. The whole Godhead dwells within Christ, and you're in him. And he's ruling over, he's the ruler over all, of all authority. What's that make you? Philosophy. Philosophy is a system of thought or way of thinking. And every single one of us has a philosophy. What we just read in Colossians, is that your philosophy? Is that how you see yourself? See, last week we, we spent a lot of time talking, talking about having a philosophy against the fallen world, the fallen nature, all of these things, uh, evil. You know, when we talk about renewing our minds, we, most of the time we spend it talking about the evil side of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What we don't spend time is renewing our minds to the good side. That the good side of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is just as bad as the evil side of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know that? There's an evil side of, you guys, I don't know if you guys are getting that. There's an evil side, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve weren't supposed to eat from. There was an evil side to the knowledge of evil, right? But there was also the knowledge of what? Is good. That knowledge of what is good is what we call man-made religion. It's man's attempt to be good. How? Through knowledge. We know what is evil, and if we just if we just don't do what we know is evil, then we're good. But who tells us what is evil? There are some things in some cultures that we would deem as evil and they would deem as everyday life. See, the knowledge of good and evil is all based on man. And we're not supposed to be eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we still do every single day. We're supposed to be eating from the tree of life, which is Jesus Christ. So we spent a lot of time talking about evil stuff. Today, we're going to talk about the good stuff. We're going to renew our mind from what the world says is good stuff. So you're going to be mad at me by the end of this. The word philosophy is mentioned twice in Scripture, here in Colossians, which we just read, and then also in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 18, it says, And also some of the um, Echicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, speaking with Paul. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he, others, he seems to be, to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So we see that there were two types of philosophers during Paul's time. 
the Epicurean and the Stoics. They were philosophers. The Epicureans were so named after a philosopher, Epicurus. He was born in 341 B.C. and taught for 36 years in the school that he founded in Athens. He did not believe in a creator, believing that everything just happens. However, he did believe in multiple gods that took no part in human affairs, so he was agnostic. He taught that simple pleasures were to be pursued and pain avoided. Regardless of how pure Epicureans' motives may have been, it was not long until the Epicureans had degenerated into a materialistic, pleasure-seeking sect. So this was a philosophy, a way of thinking, and this way of thinking basically says that there might be gods out there, but they don't have nothing to do with us. Life is all about pleasure. Chase after pleasure all you want, and try to do whatever it takes to avoid pain. Not much has changed. There are people in this world that this is their philosophy. This is the way that they think. This is the way that they plot out their path, their course of life. The Stoics, on the other hand, was another popular school of thought and were the exact opposite. Stoics, the name Stoic came from the Greek word stoa. Stoa means a uh, colonnade or interior, uh, what is that, Pazia? Pizza, I like pizza better than that. Well, anyway, it's a porch. It's a lot easier to say. It's a porch. This sect was named because its founder, Zeno, Zeno's Pizza. That sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Taught for about 39 years from 301 to 262 B.C. At the painted porch in the marketplace of Athens. Stoics believed that tr- truly wise people would dominate their emotions so that that uh, emotion would never influence them positively or negative. They accomplished this by believing that whatever happened was fate and therefore their lot in life. They taught a very frugal life, rejecting all luxury in food and clothing. So now we have another school of thought. And these were prevalent in Paul's day. You had... The Epicureans that seek after pleasure, avoid pain. And you have the Stoics that was shun all pleasure. And your holiness, your righteousness, is by avoiding pleasure and degrading, disciplining the body to go without. And we still have that today. It's called religion. So you have two extremes. You have, this is the way the world operates. You have the extreme over here that seeks after pleasure, go after pleasure all you want, and then you got the stream over here that pleasure is bad, shun pleasure, discipline yourself, be miserable. You have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The evil, chase after, just gorge yourself, and gluttony, and pleasure, and then we know that that leads to death and destruction, so we shun it, and we're good. The truth is, is somewhere in the middle. That's the way it always is. 
Truth is somewhere in the middle. Together, the Stoics and the Epicureans represented the complete spectrum of man's wisdom at the time, and not much has changed. There's nothing new in this sun. Why is this important? Both are philosophies, a way of thought, but neither one of them is a biblical philosophy. It's not a biblical way of thinking. 2 Corinthians 4 Verse 3, it says, But even if our gospel, the glad tidings, also be hidden, obscured, and covered up with a veil that hinders the knowledge of God, it is hidden only to those who are perishing and obscured, only to those who are spiritually dying, and veiled only to those who are lost. For the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the Messiah, who is the image and likeness of God. The God of this world blinds people to God's philosophy, his thought of Christ, and those that are spiritually dying, it's veiled because they are blinded of, in, in unbelief of God's philosophy on the world. And God's philosophy is Christ. Him and him crucified. From the very beginning of time, God created the world, and it was natural, right? He created the natural world, and what did he say? He said that it was good. We get this idea in, in religion that the natural realm is evil, but the spiritual realm is good. Going to work it's just a necessary evil, but when I'm working in the church, it's good. See, we put these dualism, these divides in our life, and God never, ever, ever intended that. It's all good. Satan's strategy is to take you captive through a philosophy dictated by men rather than God. He uses Crafty, deceptive, and cunning intelligence to control your thoughts and conform you into the image of the world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than all the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the women, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Satan uses subtlety. He uses deceptive, deception to attack God's word. We already talked about this last week, that he could have came in as a lion, he could have came in as a rhino, he could have came in some strong thing and tried to force them to eat. But he did not have the power to do that. He had, all he has is the power of deception. And what does he come in and do? This, the same thing that he did to Jesus on, on the Mount of Temptation for 40 days. God, did God say... He says, did God say, indeed, has God said, questioning what God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So right away, he brings in discontentment. You got 10,000 trees out there you can eat from. And he starts getting to think on the one that they couldn't eat. You see, it'd be different if he came. Did God say that you could eat from all 10,000 of these trees that he has made for you? but one you can't eat? 
you get thinking, well, God gave me this whole creation, this whole world. I got 10,000 trees to choose from. Who cares about the one? But he gets you to focus, and he questions God's motives. He questions God's, what God has said. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but, the, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it, or you will die. Now, we know that God told this to Adam. And either God also told Eve this, or Adam communicated it to his wife. But we see that what she tells the serpent is, told, is different than what God said. He didn't say that if you touch it, you will die, just if you eat it. So she added to the word of God. We don't know if Adam added to the word of God or she did this on her own, but she adds to the word of God. And this contributed to her deception. It's called religion. We add to the word of God. God says this. So if God says this, maybe if I just kick it up just a little bit more, I'll be even better. Addition to the word of God is just as bad as ignorance of the word of God. Because neither one of them are the word of God. When you add to the word of God, it's just as bad as not even knowing the word of God. Jesus said in Mark 7, 13, he says, that they were making the word of God of no effect through their tradition, which was handed down. When he was talking about the, he was talking to the religious leaders of their time, and he says, the word of God is no effect in your world, in your nations, in your lives, in your families, because you have added to it your own traditions, and it voids out the power of God from working in your life. The traditions of men make the word of God of none effect. Modesty. There were, <laughs> we have taken the word modest and totally perverted it. There's some people that would, I would be in sin right now because my cuffs of my shirt are rolled up. That I'm showing my forearms. Women, if you don't have a skirt that is no higher than your ankles, you are immodest. Some religions say that you have to wrap a sheet around your head, not show your hair. We've taken modesty, and we've perverted it. 1 Peter 3, 3-4. This is where Christians get it from. Your adornment must be, not be merely external, braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So, this, so what they say is you can't wear jewelry, you can't wear makeup. Well, according to this, if you keep going, you can't wear clothing. This is what religion does. They take it one more step. He's saying that it's supposed to be, the, don't, don't just let your, your beauty, don't let your, your, who you are just be the external, but let it be the internal, the hidden man of the heart. But we expand it. We, we make it, if, if men can't have long hair, you can't have tattoos, you can't do 
You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, you know the, body, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Would God want you marking up his body with tattoos? And the same people think, well, you know, it might be God's will that you have cancer. That doesn't make any sense. That's how religion is. Religion does not make any sense. God might put cancer on you, but he doesn't want you to mark up the temple of God. If your body's a temple of God, maybe it needs decorating. I don't know. If you need makeup, put it on. Sometimes you've got to put two coats on, right? Barn needs painting. But we take, this is what religion does. We, God says this, and we go take it one more step, and we bring people into bondage and condemnation and guilt. I mean, there's so many... So many things. I try, try not to get ahead of myself. Modesty. The, this is what it means. The quality of being relatively uh, moderate, limited, or small in amount, rate, or level. The outward appearance shouldn't be the main thing we are concerned about. But as Peter went on to explain in verse 4, it is the inner person that we, we should be concerned most about. And what happens? You're not, moderation means you're not drawing attention to yourself. So you can take it in being, having less clothes drawing attention to yourself. But we know what religion does? They put so much clothing on that they're still drawing attention to themselves. Have you ever seen a religious person that was dressed in a certain way that drawed attention to themselves? They're immodest. Their outward adornment is drawing attention to them. The vehicles, they, the horse and buggies that they ride in. They think they're being modest. They're actually the complete opposite of modesty. You wear your collar backwards. You wear a monk outfit, whatever you wear. If you're not fitting in into culture, you are drawing attention to yourself through your outward appearance, and you are immodest. That's what religion does. But religion adds to the word of God and voids the word of God and prevents its truth. We tell people that if you smoke, you're going to hell. You will, if you smoke, you will not go to hell. You might smell like you've been there, but it, it, you will not go to hell. And I'm, I might get in trouble here, but I'm going to give you the truth. And the reason why most pastors do not give their people the truth it's because they're afraid what to do with it. But I have more faith in the power of God living within you, your, resurrection, your resurrected spirit living within you, than what you're going to do with the truth. We talk about you can't preach grace. You can't say that all their sins are forgiven. You can't say that your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Because then they'll go out and do whatever they want. People are going out and doing whatever they want anyways. Drinking. The Bible is not a prohibition book. Do you know that? You go through the Bible, and there's more positive things about drinking than negative things. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but it's the truth. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, came down from the Mount of Tribulation, and what's the first thing he did? He threw a kegger. He turned water into wine. But see, what we do... Religion says, do not drink. See, this happened to me when I was younger. I was going to the Methodist church, and there was a person 
um, a leader within the church that came and talk, was talking to us about uh, the dangers of alcohol, alcohol and you shouldn't drink and all this stuff. I had to stop over at their house to drop off. We were heading, actually we were picking, picking up their van because we were heading to St. Louis to, uh, for a mission trip. I walk in the house and sitting on his counter, they're getting ready for dinner, there's a bottle of wine open. So as a young man, you could think, well, he's a leader in the church. He says you're not supposed to be drinking. He's drinking, so it must be all right to drink. And you could, you could flip that and say, woo, let's go. Let's do whatever you want. But that's what religion does. It, it, it puts these, it adds, adds to the word of God because they're afraid of what people will do with it. There's nothing wrong going out and having a dinner, dinner with your wife and having a bottle of wine. But the Bible does say that if you're getting drunk on tequila every single night, losing your job, wrecking your family, that's, that's, that's not a good idea. It will destroy you. And you're thinking, well, then you should just preach against it because it could destroy you. Well, driving a car can destroy families too. Should we stop driving cars too? See, we, we, any motivation that's based off fear is not of God. Now, some of you shouldn't drink. And that's something that you have to work through with the Holy Spirit. But what I'm saying is, is that religion takes it one more thing, food. There's people that you can't eat pork. You, can't, you shouldn't eat this, shouldn't eat this, only organic you know, last thing I, time I checked, the whole earth was cursed. The earth is cursed. So no matter how organic you eat, you're eating cursed food. So you better believe when you pray over it that's blessed through the word of God and the prayer of faith. Right? See, we, we just take it to the extremes. We take it to the extremes. Sex. God says for you to get married and have lots and lots of sex. Amen. And don't commit adultery. He says that's the best way to live. He says that creates a home environment, a family environment. He, he, says, he says that's going to create a, a safety. There's going to be joy in there that can only be experienced between two people. And if you do it my way, it's blessed. But when you don't do it my way and you step out of it, it brings destruction. And so what do we do? Religion says, well, if God says not to commit adultery, we'll say that it's more better, it's more holy, not to get married, not to have sex at all. Right? There's certain people in the body of Christ, in the church, that we look at them as more holy, better than us. Why? Just because they never had sex. Vain philosophies of men. You are holy. You are righteous. You are perfect because of Jesus Christ. Not whether you jumped around in the sack or not. First Timothy 4, verse 1 and 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. How will these people fall away from the faith? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What are these, what are these 
deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. If you're forbidding to marry, you are preaching a doctrine of demons. If you are saying that you should abstain from certain foods or certain drinks or whatever, you are preaching a doctrine of demons. Look what Paul says. He says, foods which God, God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Do you believe that? Everything created by God is good. But will you use it for good? Or will you use it for evil? Will you use it as God intended it? Or will you use it to pervert it and bring destruction and death and chaos? Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. I don't pray over my food because I'm religious. I don't pray over my food to be a witness to other people. I pray over my food because I got to eat it. I have faith in God. That when I pray over my food, it's sanctified, it's cleansed. I will eat no deadly thing, and it shall not harm me. I will not drink any deadly thing, and it shall not harm me. I eat and drink in faith in Jesus Christ. Temptation is linked to what you think. So if you think smoking, you think drinking, you think eating certain things are a sin... Then what, and that you're more holy or sanctified or, or righteous because you don't do those things, then you will be tempted by those things. Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial. See the freedom that is in God? The freedom is in God. Everything is lawful to you. Because your righteousness, your holiness, is, your relationship with God is not based off your actions, it's based off Christ. That doesn't mean it's not going to kill you. That doesn't mean it's not going to destroy your family. That doesn't mean it's not going to bring you to poverty. That doesn't mean that it's not going to wreck your health. Right? Because you know smoking is bad for you. Can we all agree with that? And it causes cancer. And even, if it's God, even though it's God's will for you to, to be healed and healthy, if you're doing something contrary to what you know is the truth, it sears your conscience, and it makes it so you're unable to walk in faith in those areas. You start thinking, well, I deserve it. I deserve it because I did it. That's why it's important in this life to rule your life the way that God intended you to rule. Have boundaries. Do not go to extremes. Moderation. 
Temptation is linked to what you think. Look at Abraham. And Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's talking about Abraham and Sarah. And in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So by faith, God called him to an inheritance. He had no idea where he was going. He just went. Verse 15 says, And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Why was Abraham and Sarah not tempted to go back to where they came from? Because they weren't thinking about it. Right? If they had been thinking of that country which they went out, they would have the opportunity to return. They weren't thinking about where they came from. They had a vision of where they were going. They had the promises of God. They had this inheritance. They were focused on what God had said, not thinking about where they came from. What you think about will give opportunity for temptation to come in. What you think about gives temptation an opportunity. You can't be tempted by something you never think about. Right? If you never think about it, you can't be tempted. Temptation always happens first in the mind. Satan seeks to overcome us not by might, but through thoughts. He challenges God's truth and elevating our own truth above the word of God. Did God say, we shall not eat or touch it, lest we die. We start elevating our truth above God's truth, and that's where Temptation becomes sin. Your thoughts, the way that you think. Today we spend a lot of time debunking religion. And these ideas that somehow we can go further than God's word and be more holy. And that's producing your own righteousness. And what that basically is saying is that what Christ did on the cross was not sufficient. These vain philosophies of men, these traditions of men, these ideas, these things that bring condemnation in your life, God did not intend for you to live that way. He did not intend for you to live under condemnation, guilt, and the burden of religion. He created you to live in Christ the same way that you received Christ by faith. He created you to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, to control your life and take dominion over your life and not let let your life or the circumstances have dominion over you and control over you. That's what you were created for. Next week, we're going to continue this thought pattern. And next week, we're going to look at how we, how we can avoid the root of all doubt and unbelief. We can avoid the root of doubt and unbelief through the simple fact of the realization that God is not withholding anything good from you. We're going to look at the goodness of God. And we're going to transform our mind. We're going to be transformed into the revelation of God's Ultimate purpose is for your goodness, your goodness, your future. 
And this is something that the church is in dire need of, is having a revelation of the goodness, the goodness of God. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the revelation of your word that just does not show the, that, that, that the dark side of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but it also shows the folly and the shortcomings of trying to be good in our own strength. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just ask that, that you would point out in our lives areas where we are trusting in a tradition of man rather than trusting in Christ. That you would open our eyes to see that we are trust, when we're, where we're trusting in our own righteousness, our own holiness, rather than the righteousness and holiness that's brought through Christ. We ask that you would open our eyes to see the people that we've looked down on because they don't fit our checklist of, of what is good, what is right. And we fail to see Christ in them. That they are beloved, worthy, and redeemed by the same blood, the same cross, the same Savior that won our hearts. that we wouldn't be to one stream or the other, but we would find ourselves in Christ right in the middle, knowing that all things are good, that you created all things to be enjoyed, and we are to rule and reign over the earth and not allow the earth to rule and reign over us. Father, this morning as we spoke the truth, I... I trust in the Spirit of God that dwells with each, in each one of these people that they would not go to the extreme in one way or the other. But they would learn moderation in the Spirit of God that dwells within them. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.